the diversity hires. Find us across all social media at Div Hires Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, patreon.com slash Div Hires Pod, where you can give us a little bit of that Skrilla to keep us afloat if you feel so inclined. So today we are talking about a variety of things. Yes, we're talking about a variety of things, but the core of the episode is 23 reasons why your script may have been rejected. And I have some thoughts on this, but we'll we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, right. This is based on, a, we'll introduce it, but it's based on an article. There's 23 points. We thought this might be a great basis for uh, a lightning round of our thoughts and suggestions on some popular internet advice you might hear. So we're going to use this article as a basis to basically talk shit about internet advice and talk about where we agree, where we disagree, and uh, where we disagree with each other, right, Shu? That's right. The title of this episode should be Why You Suck. That's what it feels That's what it feels like when you get rejected, man. It's like this is here. This is why 23 reasons why you might suck. All right, we'll get into personal. it. We'll get it. It's a personal attack. And I took yeah. that personally. Hit the music. <laughs> Yo, 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 the diversity hires where Sherman Shoe shoot the shit about screenwriting. We are two professional screen and television writers working and living in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. And we come here every week to give you the lowdown on the business, the craft, and also the culture of writing for film and television from a distinctly black point of view. I am Shukri Hassan Tillman. Y'all been eating long enough. Stop being greedy. You know who it is. The greatest screenwriter of all time. The living embodiment of the Courier font. Your favorite screenwriter's favorite screenwriter. Your other co-host, Sherman Payne. Ready to get into it today, Shu. Uh, today, my my little rap bar was from DMX, man, because prayers up for DMX. He's a, you know yes. He's in a bad way right now. He is, and by the time this episode airs, which is usually a week or so, sometimes more after we record, um, hopefully things have gotten better, but I fear for the worst for for DMX. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, the reports are pretty devastating, and it does not seem like a... uh... It does not seem like a speedy or full recovery is in the the cards, but I'm really hoping that it is, man. You know... um... I, yeah. of course, talk all about rap all the time. I, shoot, I'd really rather be talking about rap than filmmaking or screenwriting, if it's not apparent by now. <laughs> I mean, I'd much rather, I'd much rather talk about rap music. But, you know, when I was a kid, a teenager, Tupac died. I wasn't a huge Tupac fan. Tupac died, and then Biggie died. And it felt like there was a little bit of a vacuum in rap music, in popular rap music. And that was 97 when Biggie died. And here comes Darkman X to like hold down 1998 like nobody's business, man. And I think that in retrospect, we can sort of think of people who were around in that era, you know, like mm-hmm. Jay-Z was around. He put out a huge album in 1998. 
uh, Eminem was about to come out. I think the next year, you know, Nas was around. People were around. There were big names around. But at that exact moment, trust me when I say, if you live through it, you know, nobody was as big as DMX. DMX was the biggest for a brief moment of time. He was the biggest rap star in the world. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't wasn't he the first? I, my memory is that he was the first sort of mainstream rapper to drop like multiple albums in a year. Like he, he feel like he that three times. I mean, the mixtape thing seemed to come a little bit later where people yeah. would just drop all the time. But dropping three studio albums in a year felt like a DMX thing. Am I, I am I wrong on that? No, you're you're. I think it was two albums. I mean, you know, somebody fact checks. I think it was two albums. It was uh, it was uh, it's dark and hell is hot, which is a great name for an album, by the way. And then uh, flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, both in 1998. And I think that they were like, I think it was one very rare for people to drop two albums in the same yeah. calendar year, and two, I think they were both number one albums. I'm almost yeah. positive they were both Jeez. number one albums. And he was such a, uh, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't a hip hop fan and you weren't following at that time, it's hard to put in perspective how much of a like repudiation he was to what was going on at the time. We had just endured, not endured, because I was a fan actually. I don't want to use the word endured, but we had just been through the Puffy era. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, the bad we were, Yeah, we were still... We didn't know we were heading out of it yet. We didn't I, I know we were, we were heading still out in of it. it. Yeah. Biggie had a big, you know, big few years before he passed, unfortunately. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Puffy picked up right where he left off with Bad Boy and the family. And mm-hmm. there were shiny suits. And there was mm-hmm. money. And there were big watches. And there were diamonds. And there was pop, like, you know, pop samples. And it was very bright and bubbly and shiny. And then here comes DMX. <laughs> <laughs> with his first single off his album, uh, Where My Dog's At. And uh, and I, it, the video was yes, that's the exact yeah. opposite. The exact opposite of something Puffy would do. Because it was in a huge club with a crowd that looked like they would murder you. And DMX on stage with a pair of overalls. It was black and white and just yelling in your face. And I think the first line of DMX's, I think the first line of DMX's first single was, uh, "We're taking it back to the streets" or something like that. Like it was just like him, like growling in the microphone, like this is a like declaring this is a new era. Right. And you know, again, I like, you know, I'm I'm a filmmaker, man. I'm a screenwriter, so I like theatrical rappers. And he was about as theatrical as you could get. Like he just had a persona that was, you know, based in like loving dogs and like barking yeah. and and in this dog culture he was introducing i think to the to a mainstream audience the street bike culture with all the rough riders and his yeah. videos and the quads yeah. and the dirt bikes and he just had a, a persona and a and a sort of theatrical nature man that just made him bigger than life and i don't want to talk about him like he's gone because you know knock on wood he's going to be here with us for several more years but i just thought it was important that we open this episode with a little discussion about uh, one of the most important rappers uh, for my growing up, DMX. Yeah, man. I could not say it, I mean, any better. And also, he always felt like this. I mean, if you know any of his story or if you've ever ran into him like I have, uh, you you know, which I don't think I told you, sure. Wait, but, you ran into DMX? Oh, I've run into DMX before. Yes. This is not that long ago. 
<clears throat> at the you South ran into Coast, the DMX recently? At the South Coast Mall in, oh my God, I don't know, 2017, something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe later. Um, anyway, what I was going to say is that, you know, you know, he has some demons, man. I mean, it's not, yeah. it, it's not a secret. And I think if not you saw or were around him in person in any way, you could kind of read that between the lines. But even with that, I mean, he was a, uh, or is, I should say, a, you know, larger than life figure and somebody that you always felt like you, you should root for. That that was what his persona I, I felt like was that was what separated him. I thought again at that time I was a senior in high school when uh, when Biggie when Tupac and Biggie both were killed, yeah. um, one in ninety six and one in ninety seven. That was my senior year in high school, and yes, I had come up through all of that, the whole Puffy era. Yeah, uh, and then then to have DMX come out, DMX again like felt like a guy that. Because of the dogs and because of like, you know what I mean? Like, it just felt like a guy to root for. You know, yeah. he just felt like a. I want to root for DMX. And, and, and listen, we're gonna wrap it up. But AKB, I'm, first of all, keep this direct address to AKB in. I want the self-reflexive nature of this podcast to show through. AKB, nice. you've got to in the newsletter, which everybody should subscribe to on uh, the diversityhires.com. Uh, this week in the newsletter, we have to put in the video of DMX singing Rudolph the Red Nose Red Nose Reindeer. Because like two is, years ago, right? I don't. It, it's not. It, oh, you know what? You're yeah. right. It's it, it's it's old, but I. But he did he did it on stage maybe two years ago on television. Anyway, that's he, old. Well, it's amazing. It's just will bring it, you can. If, whether you're everybody's familiar with it because it has probably like 20 million views but if you've never seen it before or if you've seen it before and haven't watched it recently watch it just to remind you how much joy this guy can bring to your life just by his presence so shout out dmx man uh uh you know i hope you get well soon bro yep so i'm gonna take it back to episode one where i told you I told you, faithful listener, that if you're a black screenwriter and you're interested in writing black <laughs> content, you will at one point work for a rapper and you will also at one point work for somebody who played in an all-star game. I told you that. I, I, I told true. you that. And what news do we get this week? That NBA legend. You know, 17-year, 18-year vet, perennial all-star for most of his career. Uh, Denver Nuggets, New York Knicks, now the Portland Trailblazers. I think he Thunder and maybe the Rockets in between there. Carmelo Anthony has, you guessed it, set up his own film and television production company. Creative 7. Creative 7, it's called. He's doing it with his business partner. Let me check the name. Uh, Asani Swan. Shu, I just before you know we get into the other topics today. Did you have any thoughts on on this uh, topic of uh, Carmelo Anthony starting his own production company? Uh, my first thought is that I'm going to start working on my jump shot. That's, that's my first. <laughs> I'm in the gym tomorrow. No, I mean, look, I, I'm joking. My my thought is exactly what you said. I just think it's funny, man. It's just and and when I say. Like it's it's funny what you just mentioned that you that the truth of that is really funny that 
we will end up, it's just so true. We're going to be approached to work with a rapper or somebody that played in an all-star game. Like it's almost certain that that is going to come across your desk as a black screenwriter at one time or another. Now that in and of itself, or somebody that won a Grammy, I mean, that's the other one. Yeah. But, but, um, but, um, but, and, in and of itself, look, there's there's nothing wrong with that per se, but and I'm sure these folks that have set up companies and do good work. LeBron James company does Spring Hill does great yeah. work. John Legend and uh mm-hmm. um I forget his partner's name, but uh they do great work out of their production company. So look, people who get into uh into this business from other arenas, other entertainment arenas, you know, great. It's just a little strange from the seat that I sit in as a person that's worked so long and so hard and still working to perfect the craft of of writing yes. and creating material that it just seems bizarre to have like to just step out of one very highly specialized thing like playing in the NBA to just jump like just stick your foot in this other thing like like it's nothing <laughs> and it happens all the time and it, I mean, it's just weird like because i can't step in the nba like that no of course not. i you can't can, do that sure. it doesn't go both ways like sure. i can't just be like you know what i'm i'm yo i'm going out for the league next year guess what Shu? you can't go anywhere you can't step <laughs> anywhere you can't step into the nba you're as a screenwriter you maybe one day uh after you get a little more clout will be a you know a a real consistent writer producer you know that's mm-hmm. that's a mm-hmm. that's a reasonable aim for you right like you can mm-hmm. start you hopefully you'll get an overall deal you'll parlay it into a real production company and you know you'll be on your little mogul writer producer thing mm-hmm. you could probably also if you really choose to muscle your way into directing something i think that's reasonable sure but you're in the world of filmmaking man you're you're, shoot, there's nobody lets you come out of filmmaking and go to it. You can't drop an album. No. You can't drop an album. You can't go be an athlete. No. You can't go to other forms of entertainment. Nobody's going to take you seriously. So, I'd be laughed out of the building. Well, because I'd be it, la- it's money, yeah. bro. I mean, you know, listen, it's money. It's money that allows you to do that. That's the bottom line. And so I, I don't even really want to talk about Carmelo Anthony because my, my guess is, first of all, hey, Carmelo, uh, I would love to come pitch multiple ideas <laughs> yeah. to you i have we great st- ideas on deck would you like to read some samples please and, uh hit me up uh you can find my reps on imdb pro or anywhere and, else you look for and also representation also carmelo they need to put some respect on your name as a basketball player i, I that's that's a separate fanboy thing i'm gonna yes. say but i just they need to put some respect on carmelo anthony the basketball player's name but anyway well here's what I'm i don't want to go pitching but I, I'll be, pers- I, was, I, well, I was actually going to say that I think out of actually all the players and all of the uh, all of the people who uh, exist in other forms of entertainment who could, you know, set foot in our industry that we are very protective of and take very seriously. Carmelo Anthony is actually one of the people who I'm like, that's not so bad. You know what I mean? I think he's a thoughtful brother. I think he's very interested in depicting our people. Uh, with with sort of in in full faceted three dimensional ways, so I'm not so mad at Carmelo Anthony. It would be sort of like Chris Paul too. Like I think Chris Paul would also be in that category of like a very thoughtful person who 
you know, it, it could be a lot worse, right? But the, but there's a lot of thoughtful there's a lot of thoughtful school teachers. There's a lot of thoughtful right. janitors. There's a lot right. of thoughtful electricians. But I have they made hundreds of millions of dollars over their career that they can use to just leverage their way into an industry they're not a part of? No. Well, that, it's capitalism. The, I mean, you that's know. the part I don't understand. Yeah. That that's what that's where the disconnect is for me. Who says like this is? Who is it that said? Maybe you can answer this for me. Like, I'm Carmelo Anthony. I say I'm going to set up a company. Like. Somebody has to. It is. Is there investment in it? Like who? Who co-signs this? Like this is great. This is gonna work. You know, it's not like they have a deal at a studio or anything. So I mean, the, you know the, what? Sure. I'm mystified by it. No, That's you shouldn't be mystified by it because if you had, if you had a spare five million dollars lying around, you could go hire a creative executive. You could go. Uh, get, get some, some office, office space. space. You could get an assistant who knows how to answer phones. Yeah. You could talk to your right. a- you could talk to your agency and yeah. say, "Introduce me," because all these companies are you know multifaceted. Introduce me yes. to the film side of your of the agency, and of yeah. course they're going to introduce you because you're making the millions of dollars on the sports side, and you're going to get a couple connections, and you're going to get a couple calls in. And, and you're the real. Up. And let me tell you the real thing, though, Shu. It's the studios and the producers who do not respect the craft of black artists enough to elevate black artists. They just want to attach the splashy name to the project. So for them, it's very, very valuable. And I think that happens across all racial divides in our industry, but I think it happens way more in the black side of the industry. I've said this before. It's due to a lack of respect for black artists and the black audience. And yep. so they just attach any old splashy name that has made their name in another field to the project yes. because they know that that's going to get attention uh, you know or what? at least they believe it's going to get attention. So, you know, listen, it's much, much more valuable. It's besides the the writer's names we all know, right? Mm-hmm. The Kenya mm-hmm. Barrises, the Jordan Peels, the Lena Waithes, the Issa Rays, right? Mm-hmm. Besides those, you know, five to 20 names that we could all think of. It's much more valuable for them to have Carmelo Anthony's name attached to a project than any other writer or director in Hollywood, right? Like, I mean, th- that's what they think, at least. So it's not surprising that he says, I want to make movies, and there are people lining up to just attach him to the project. But isn't, I mean, you're right, but isn't that strange? Yeah, I mean, it's why strange. is that? Isn't that like a little, shouldn't we question why that is true? Do you why? know what I mean? Yeah. Like why? For, like why? I don't have my thoughts. I'm just thinking out loud. But like, why is it that? In no disrespect to Carmelo Anthony personally, but why yeah. is it that is true that the feeling is that there's more value in attaching a name that has nothing to do with that that is famous in another arena. Mm-hmm. It's an entertainment arena, but it's another arena it has nothing to do with creating content. And why is it? Why is that seen as more valuable than the than the person or oh. persons out there who may have a, a may have a reputation, maybe not a name, but a reputation in creating content that are black? Bro, why is, is Carmelo okay. Anthony more valuable? I have the answer. I, I have the answer, but you know, this is, podcast is only an hour. We sh- we maybe should dedicate a whole episode <laughs> to this. It's because they do not respect the black audience or black artists we have and part of it 
is on us, right? We have struggled so much for representation. We have rightfully we've we've asked for representation, representation, representation. That now uh, a lot of the industry thinks that merely all we need to do is give the black audience representation. You know, Tyler Perry was dropping multiple films when he was like the only one sort of doing it outside of the regular system. And the idea I think became when those became hits is like, oh, yo, the black audience will go check out anything if their black face is attached. And so if there's a black celebrity attached, even better, right? Like it's not about the story. It's not about the quality of the work. It's not about the creative vision. It's mainly about just putting black faces and black names in the poster on the poster and getting people out there. And Carmelo Anthony is a huge black name. And so are all these other, you know, celebrities and singers and songwriters. So I think it all has to do with a deep lack of respect for the black creative process and and the black audience. Now, with that said, we have fought for representation. I think what we were looking for is something a little more substantive. You know what I mean? Like I don't think we were I think we were saying representation plus. But you know, all they heard is just slap any old black story with any old black celebrity or any old black name that you might recognize and the people are going to come out. We don't actually need to treat it as a creative endeavor like we do all the other projects we're working with. We just need to get some we just need to get some names and some buzz out there. Uh, so okay. that's what I think happens and I think also, you know, a lot of these white executives are very mystified by black stories and black characters and the black experience. And I think they're constantly looking for cover. They're constantly looking for cover. I've been in situations where uh, I've been talking about a black story and, uh, you know, maybe I'm working with with white uh, other white writers or white executives. And then they're just like, hey, shouldn't so-and-so rapper produce this? And I'm thinking to myself, what? What could they possibly add to the project? Why are we saying now that we need to call... You know, I'm not going to call I could say their names. I'm not going to say their names. Why are we suddenly saying we need to call MC so-and-so to be on this project? They're not going to be able to give us notes. on the, We have story problems, y'all. Like, we have to figure out how this second act is going to work. And you want to call MC so-and-so to be executive producer? That's what you're concerned with at this moment? It's baffling. It is. It's baffling. I, you know, and I've said this before, too. Everybody at least believes that they are a film and television expert. Because oh, they have course. been consuming film and television they watched it. Yeah. hours and hours a day since they were zero. Exactly. And it's sort of like when people get money and they think that they can open a restaurant. Yes, yeah, because they eat food. Because yeah. you eat food. You've been to restaurants nonstop. You think, I would love to have a bar. I would love to have a restaurant. I think that's why so many fail, because you realize it's not just about having you know patronized those places it's actually a business that you have to be very skillful and you have to understand how the how the business works on the on the back end i feel that's the same way for filmmaking and screenwriting especially it's not about what you know as a viewer it's about what you know as a craftsman and an artist and so yes um i'm not even really i mean i guess i sort of understand the instinct is like I have millions and millions of dollars what's something i'm interested in film and television well let me go try to make it I sort of yeah. understand that instinct, but as somebody who has dedicated their entire adult life to this as an art form and a creative pursuit, it's a little insulting when I'm going to have to go because I'm, I want to get hired. Carmelo, hit me up. I would love to work with you. I have some great ideas I think you might be interested in, but am I going to have to take notes from your business partner who doesn't know film? 
And, and that's and, not and to may, say this particular business partner, but is it going to be like one of Carmelo's homeboys? Am I going to have to, you know what I mean? Like, am I going to have to take story notes? Which has somebody, happened to you before. Let's just say. This is what, you, what you have experienced. I have definitely experienced taking notes from somebody's homie. Yeah. From somebody who they like they grew up with and uh, who has no idea what they're talking about. And I have to take notes and try to incorporate their ill-informed ideas into my beautifully crafted script. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that. I Look, no, I'll just wrap it up that, like, my thoughts at least, like, <clears throat> no shot at Carmelo in particular. Nah, nah and, it's not about uh, him in particular. Nah, nah. He, and he's he's got he's to prove himself now. Like, yeah, you know, like I everybody think else. LeBron to this point has actually done a lot of really savvy projects and I still Absolutely. think it's I still think it's weird that <laughs> the arguably the greatest basketball player of all time is like producing movies but I think that's weird but okay whatever he's proved himself I think at this point he's put out several projects some have been very successful and so now you know Carmelo do the same thing and then we you know we won't be able to have this conversation but he doesn't get a pass just because he's Carmelo Anthony. No, exactly. You know I, mean? I think that's the point. I think that's the point. And shout out. I just want to take a brief moment to shout out people like, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, to shout out people like Mike uh, Gallo. I think that's his last name. He's a showrunner of uh, Ginny in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just read that he's um, uh, doing this mentorship program to bring uh, with writ large and culture creative to bring uh Black voices, black writers specifically, yeah. And some of my friends are are the mentors, but uh, bringing them into uh, the business. So you have people like that who who is not a household name, right? Um, but um, you know, people may be familiar with the show Jenny and Georgia, but um, not a household name, but doing their part yes. institutionally to help uh, bring other people in. So there's a splashy name and there's also the people who are just doing the work, just doing the work. And I think that his, uh, program is, which I think is great is specifically targeted at aspiring writers who are just shy of like being a WGA writer. Yes. People who are showing real professional talent, but haven't quite broken in. I think that's exactly a, you know, I think that's a great place to start. I think the earlier in the process, we can identify great black voices with potential and nurture them all the way through. I think that's a huge way of like constructing a foundation for, you know, increasing black participation in this industry. So I'm, I, I, I saw that article too. I really liked it. And I was very impressed by this brother's uh, publicity shots. Dude, <laughs> when do you, as a writer, when do you Yo. get to the point where you get some swaggy publicity shots like that? I, you know, Yo, this dude, this dude, first of all, his, the gear is dope. Yes. I don't know if I could pull it off. I definitely could not pull any of it, the outfit off. But my man is leaning on a stack of crates. That's so cool. With his hand, like, like these are crates, yo. I don't yeah. need you, you. You take the message. I mean, I, I, the message I take is like, yo, this brother, he, he got it like that where somebody came in to stack crates for him just to lean. That's pretty cool, bro. I don't have that. I don't have that cloud yet, but that's pretty cool. No, just lean on. No, he's not. I like it. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't know. Like sometimes I see writers with great publicity shots and like pictures, and I'm like, did somebody like is there like does somebody come to you from the WGA and go, Hey, I'm the publicity shot uh director no. and I wanna I wanna advise you that now it's time to get some dope publicity shots. You, you know who is the king of publicity shots? Who? Our friend. Zaheer McGee. Oh, 
Zahir McGee, Zahir, we got to get Zahir him back. Takes his, yeah, he takes his own publicity yeah. shots. So shout out, Zahir. You're doing out. great. He, we want to see your shows on the air. It's coming. It's coming. He's shooting the pilot uh, for Queens. Uh, so I guess he didn't get to call it Queen Queen Bitches or whatever he was going to call it. I yeah. guess that, I guess they, they nixed that, which yeah. I think we all could have predicted. No, but, but Zahir McGee, friend of the show, a former guest, I think episode 9 or 10. Check it out. Uh, yeah, man. Yo, but I think that guy is just naturally fly. Yeah, that's uh, that's his thing. That's part of his. That's part of the appeal. Which might be where we struggle, Shul. Oh yeah, we're nerds, man. I mean, yeah. it's not. You're think, flyer than me. Like you're. No, I like you, sneakers. You have a shoe game. I like yeah, sneakers. You have a shoe game. I don't. Wouldn't say that I'm fly. I'm, I'm definitely not approaching the Zahir McGee or uh, what, whatever this other dude's name was who had the crates. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Uh, Down another level. Maybe that's I gotta that work on. That's that, like, uh, Lena Waithe. Lena Waithe is sort of like the queen of that, too. I mean, Lena Waithe, she's on another level, bro. She's, she's the voice of level. AT&T. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to write at that point. You're the voice of AT&T. Uh. All right, show. Show, we rambled too long. Yeah. All right, so we got about, <laughs> we have just about 20 minutes we- to go through these 20 points. Go with us on this lightning round to break down this article. The article is uh, available on IndieWire. If you want to follow along, you should subscribe to the newsletter because you'll have it in your inbox on Wednesday morning. But if you want to follow along, it's called 23 Reasons Why Your Script Was Rejected. It's on IndieWire. It's written by, uh, I'm going to mess up his name, Ken Miyamoto, I think. And uh, there's just 23 reasons from a, I understand that this guy used to be a studio reader for Sony. And I think this is from the perspective of somebody who has to read a lot of scripts every day, provide coverage, and either pass them up the ranks to his bosses and the overlords at the studio who can actually greenlight stuff or reject them and send them back to the reject pile. So these are 23 uh, hints, tips, tricks, things not to do in order to get your script up the ladder. And we just thought it might be a good place to just, you know, generate some some discussion. So Shu, should we get started? We should. I have one question for you at the top. Go. This article and this list was written in 2015. Now, do you feel that that has any bearing on any of the advice given? Not really, because I don't think the industry has changed that much in six years. And I honestly, I see this. I have to say one of the reasons why I brought this up in the group chat, the diversity hires group chat, is because uh, I see it posted all the time. People still pass this article around, mm, so okay. I think it's pretty relevant. Um, we can point out the places where maybe it is, is a little dated, but I don't. I don't actually think there are too many too many places. Okay, cool. Let's go. All right. So the first one, number one, shoot, we got to do like a minute on each, so we just got to get into it. You sent you sent your script to a major agency, studio, or production company as unsolicited material. This is why your script got rejected. You think that's true? I think this is true. Never send your script to a major agency or a studio or a production company or anyone of the like or an actor, anybody, without them having requested it. Yeah. Do not do that. They have to know it's coming. Yeah. As long as Auto they know reject. as long as they know it's coming, you're good. But if you just find like an email address online and like you can like send them a note saying, Would you like to read this script? And perhaps they're gonna write back and say, Yeah, send it along. But other than that, Definitely do not cold send your script to anybody. That's a big no-no. That's why your script might get rejected. Number two, your log line was better than the actual script. No, that's that's. I don't think that's good advice. 
I oh, thank you. I agree. Okay, I thought we were gonna. Uh, no, okay, good. That's, no, like, that's cares? stupid advice. Yeah, yeah. nobody cares, cares about your log line. It, all, yeah. Nobody cares about your log line. Yeah, anybody who is cares. judging the script and like taking comparative notes between the log line and the material in the script is an idiot, and they should not be a script reader. So, yeah. make your log line dope, of course, but do not obsess over it, as I've told you before. And then make your script dope. That's the real thing that you have to work on is your script. So, yeah. who cares about the log line? <laughs> what is this yeah uh three you spent the first 10 pages introducing the characters without setting up the premise and conflict what do you think of that one i thought that this is mostly right um but i also thought there was a, a bit of a flaw in the in the in the presentation of the advice because I don't know how you set up characters without setting up the premise or the conflict so you're not really actually setting up characters i mean you're just like introducing a character on a page but setting them up means that you're setting up uh the premise and setting up the central conflict because to me the way my mind operates all of that comes from character so you you are you're 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 introducing your character and their mm-hmm. world and what they're up against their central con- that's all part of setting up the character so i agree with it i just think there's a bit of a flaw in the i don't know how you separate those two well i think he makes this point later which is like introducing too many characters if it's like a litany of characters and they're just sort of showing up on screen just so that they can be in evidence you know just so that they can exist for your script that to me is a bad move you know what i mean like i think you have to get into the essential drama what do these characters want what's holding them back from getting it and like get us started on the story so like that's a half agree i mean i think that you know it's 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 also different for every story so i don't know how useful it is as blanket you know as sort of a blanket uh you know disclaimer because as far as i remember the wire introduced tons of characters in the first couple episodes and yeah. uh, that's one of the greatest shows of all time so i think it's different for every project but overall i would say like take note and be cautious agreed uh, number four is that the scene description is overly long. What do you think about that? Uh, again, it's it's a it's a it's a script by script thing. But I will say, yeah, generally you want it to be sort of short. What do you? Yeah, one hundred percent agree. Uh, this was a, a huge agree for me. I think you know if your scene descriptions are feeling like big blocks, uh, we've said this before. You should just you know correct that. Make them quick, snappy. Break up the scene description as much as you can so it's not more than four lines, preferably more than three. Um, so, yes, agree with this. Will yeah. it get you? Here's where I thought, though. Will it get you rejected? Mm, it would be a tough read. So that's maybe influencing the the how the script feels. So, yeah. sure, maybe so. So I would agree with this. Okay. Number five. Number five is the script is all dialogue. Or at least a majority of it. That might be a reason your script is rejected. What do you think? Oh, man. I'm of two minds about this. I mean, the first thing is that we're writing movies and and television shows and not plays, right? And so a play is like two people walk into a room and they talk at each other for a whole act. Uh, Usually, you know, you want movies and television to have much more sort of visually motivated action and activity you would like things to be cinematically interesting which means seeing people do stuff right with that said man 
you know what I watched this year? I watched uh, One Night in Miami. Mm-hmm. I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which are both based on plays, and I think worked really, really well as film. So I would say, again, case-by-case case basis. I don't know that this is a great blanket advice. Yeah, I I would largely agree. You know, the, the writer uses... Um, things like my dinner with Andre and before sunrise as the exceptions, uh, but also sort of the, the things that you don't want to necessarily aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just, I felt this piece, piece of advice was just a little strange because for the reasons that you brought up and also because, you know, it says the script is all dialogue or at least the majority of it. I mean, open a script. The majority of any script is dialogue. So yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> no matter how you frame yeah. it, that's what most of it's going to be. Overwhelmingly so. In fact, you don't want a script that you flip through and it's just action description after action description after action description. You know, mm-hmm. what the hell is that? I mean, an action movie maybe. Right. But uh, these are, you know, these are ultimately people talking to each other but i think the point he's trying to make mm-hmm. is that you know just sort of mindless jabber uh or mindless talking you know right. is not what moves the script um you know we talked about in our dialogue episode dialogue as action so you're getting a sense of wants and needs and obstacles even in dialogue and that's mm-hmm. how you want to utilize dialogue so i don't think it has to do with how much or how little dialogue there is as much as it has to do with what the dialogue is doing Got you. Um, and so I, I would totally agree with that and also yeah. you know be wary of people who uh have their own specific techniques that work for them right like only tarantino can write a tarantino movie right only tarantino can write those huge dialogue scenes that sound like Tarantino only Sorkin can write a Sorkin scene like you got to find your own lane and your own vibe and I think that uh, part of this advice might be like those overly talky things that you love might not necessarily be for you especially if you're a writer just starting out and you're not quite a master yet number six you included a synopsis casting breakdown conceptual drawings or anything else beyond the script itself Easy, easy, yes. Agree. Easy, yes, bro. Do not do that. All you need is a script, guys. Literally, all you need is a script. Don't do anything. Uh, don't do any other silly shit. No, no pitch decks, nothing. Just the script, man. Just the script. Let the words speak for themselves. Just the script. Absolutely. Number seven, your script has scene numbers. Is the, It's a, one of the reasons why your script got rejected, because you have scene numbers? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to give a... a a yes and no to this, but mostly, mm-hmm. uh, mostly I disagree. Okay, I, I I understand the notion. You should not include C numbers in your submission. You should not. That is yeah. blanket statement. Period. Stop. You should not include it. Okay. However, this falls into the category of like, yeah, but um, writing is most important. If I'm an executive and you reject a dope-ass script because, because it has C numbers, C numbers yeah. you're fired. Yeah. I'm going to fire you. Yeah. There's no question about that. Yeah, the, so, yeah. Yeah, the name of yeah. this should be like you, why you got fired as a script reader. Because if that's <laughs> right? the reason why you're passing on the script, you're, you're dumb. You're dumb. So yes, yes, exactly. don't use C numbers, but also if any script readers listen to this, any creative execs who are manning the, you know, the inbox for their company, you know, look at the writing, guys. Don't get caught up on on something that's stupid as scene numbers. I actually find, though, as a professional writer, that scene numbers are very useful when you're getting notes from people. 
-hmm. It's actually more useful than a page number, right? Because a scene can often span several pages and it's sometimes good to be able to talk about the scene rather than try to identify exactly what page the note is for the scene. So like scene four might be across pages three, four, and five. And if you can just talk about scene four, you don't have to try to identify exactly where the note falls on each page. But that's something Dude. different. That's something different than submitting your script to a production company or studio I or agree. agency. Uh, I learned that coming out of the coming out of the Wells camp. I, now I send everything with with yeah. scene numbers for that very reason. So, anyway, uh, I can do number eight. Yeah. Uh, number eight, you overuse exclamation points, caps, etc. I think that I think it's a very amateur thing to like overdo the formatting. So I do see why if you open up a script and there's so much like underline, italics, caps, exclamation points, I'm like, this person is not really to a professional level. They're trying to let the formatting tell the story instead of the words tell the story. Um, again, though, I don't think that that's a reason to reject the script. I think you got to read the words on the page. I agree. And, and I, 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 I couldn't say it better. I think it's just you don't want to make yourself look like an amateur, and that's one of the ways to do it. So I agree. Uh, number nine, you have overly busy formatting with camera angles, inserts, etc. Same thing as above for me. Me too. It yeah. falls into the same. We always talk about don't direct on the page. Yeah. Too much, too, too busy trying to, like you said, make the format, tell the story. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. Do you want to do number 10? Yeah, number 10. Your script is too long or too short. I I really agree with this one. Yeah. I really agree that I think, especially if you're not an established writer who's getting hired to write an epic, if you send somebody a 130-page script, they're going to take a look at that PDF and it's going to be an almost automatic reject. 100% agree. I mean, it's an easy way to look at something without even reading it and know that something's wrong. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And be pretty, unlike scene numbers, to be pretty like, I think this is a much more accurate predictor that something is probably wrong because it it's not falling in the right range. So there's probably yeah. some problems with it structurally. A hundred percent. Try to, you guys got to try to stick to that 90 to a maximum of 120. I would say if you can keep it in the, you know, the, the, the teens, a hundred and teens, that's, that's really the maximum, but really it's got to be 90 to like 120 at, at most. And so anything more or less than that, you're going to start to look like you don't know what you're doing. And I think for pilots, 52 to six, 54 to 65, something mm -hmm. like that, 52, 54 to 60, 65 is long, 62 or 63 would be better. Yeah. That's even long. 56 is probably, 56, 58 is probably the best. Anyway. Agree with that. Uh, uh, number 11. You, number 11. Uh, your script has multiple grammar, spelling, and typo errors. Ooh, this is an interesting one. I think that's true. I think if you have way too many people are going to discount you, uh, you know, out of pocket. If they start to see, if you find several typos on page one or two, I'm likely, mm -hmm. I'm likely to stop really reading your script carefully because yes. you haven't read your script carefully. With that said, man, everybody has a couple typos. Every, you know, I remember so many people saying like, if you have one typo, your script is out the door. That is not true. Everybody has some typos. You're writing 
you know, a feature you're writing over a hundred pages, you're bound to miss a punctuation point or, yes. uh, you know, misspell a word. So, uh, but I do agree too many will sink you automatically. Totally agree. Could say it better. Uh, I agree. Number 12. 12. Yeah. yeah. Your script opens with upwards of 10 major characters. This is what I was talking about earlier. I agree with this point. Yeah. I mean, you should keep it simple in terms of characters. You don't need, you don't need 10 major characters. Uh, Even if you were doing a sprawling, you know, a multi-season television thing with yeah. like the wire I, I think you're still focusing on a smaller group of people at the beginning at least so and try to focus when you do introduce other characters uh try to focus in in their relation with your main character try to put them in context of your main character yes. don't i think it's a bad idea to like already in your first few pages be jumping to scenes that have secondary characters by themselves and your main character's not in that. Like you can do that throughout the course of your script, especially in television if it's a big, you know, ensemble thing. But try to for your first few pages, try to keep the focus on the people who we really care about, the main one or two characters. Agreed. You mind if I take 13? Go ahead. I got some strong. 13 is you overuse fancy vocabulary and technical terms. That this may be a reason that your script is rejected. And just to pick a couple of sentences here that the writer says says if you want to put together a pretty sentence go write a novel and he goes on to say you want to uh, communicate things and i'm paraphrasing with the most simple words so that people's brains the reader's brains can process them as quickly as possible while i sort of agree in the sense that um you don't want to go crazy with your action descriptions or your uh, description at any place uh, in the script. I have a real problem with the, the sentiment in this that mm-hmm. you should write like a fucking Tonto robot. I completely mm-hmm. disagree with that. I, I think that this comes from people, honestly, I think it comes from reading people attempt to do this and do it poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and being frustrated with that. And I can understand that when you're trying to say something, it's better to be clear than to be fancy. Clarity is the most important thing. Yeah. But I also feel like if you can write, man, and you can turn a phrase, put that shit in. Put that shit in the action description. Put that shit in how you describe things. Like show the fact that you can write. Yeah. It's not a, It's not like a technical report. That you that this people are going to read it. It's not just a production draft. It mm-hmm. is something that people need to read and ingest. And you n- may need to use flourish um, and do it well at times to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm of two minds about this. I think that my goal is to always use the right word, the right word for the situation. That might be a big yes. word sometimes. You know what I mean? Like yes. the 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 big word might describe exactly what I needed to describe and the little words might not get it done. So I use the right word, man. You know, I, if it's a fancy word, I use it. On the other hand, bro, I have a problem shoe that I tend to overwrite. So when I read this advice, I sort of take it to heart. I'm teaching right now uh, a screenwriting class at Columbia University, our alma mater. And one of my um, students came in with a script about a young woman dealing with uh, a pregnancy that she didn't want. And she wrote this line. She looks at the pregnancy test. It's positive. 
And I was like, man, you know what? That is so clear and it's so simple. And I know that if I was writing it, I would pick a million different fancy words. It would be three <laughs> lines too. of description. It would be this. And you know what? She got it done in one line of action with very clear and simple words. And I felt it. So anyway, I'm of two minds of this. But overall, yep. I agree with what you said. Yep. Two minds for sure. Should I do 14? Yeah, here we go. Number 14. Your script has a soft beginning. I don't even really know what this means. I read... <laughs> I read what he I read what he wrote about it. I really don't even know what it means. Do you have an idea? <laughs> I wrote next to look, I got look, shout out to shout out to Ken, Ken Miyamoto. But uh some of these I don't I think most of them are really good. Some of these I don't get, and this was one of them. I just wrote, I no, I don't know what this yeah. means. <laughs> I don't know the soft beginning, like yeah, I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know like, what it means either. I think uh, what he means is like you have to have like a big, like sexy hook. And that's great if your story requires that. I don't think you should try to muscle in. No, I see yeah. sometimes I read stuff from young writers sometimes when they try to muscle in this flashy beginning, and it's sort of neither here nor there, and it sort of draws attention that they tried to put this superfluous thing in there. Just start your story where it needs to start. Start you where know? it needs to start, and and if any, you know, some sometimes things that have emotional weight can be quote soft i mean a car is not blowing up in the beginning so that's where i got a little confused too i didn't know what what a what a soft beginning was and why you can't have one i don't see why you can't um you know in the hollywood reader world where you want to you got a thousand scripts and you want to read you know you're going to check out after five pages yeah i guess but like i'm kind of like don't cater to that reader. Yeah, but that's not in service of the story. That's in service yeah. of some abstract idea of this, you know, Hollywood reader who's probably an aspiring writer themselves, honestly, who's sitting at a desk and got this job. Like, I'm not trying to cater to those people. I'm trying to service the story. The story is what matters, not these sort of abstract notions of, you know, all this other shit. I think what shines through is a well-written narrative. Yeah, agreed. Uh, number 15, this is easy for me. Your script doesn't have enough conflict. Totally agree. Conflict is everything. I think that's what he says in the in the body of it. Totally agree. I don't even need to add anything else. More conflict is always better. Uh, agree. Hard stop. Great. 16, you don't know what genre you're writing in. I didn't know what this meant either. It's me either. Me either. I was like, I me either. I was what, I didn't know what that's meant. Like what you you have to like I, I didn't know what this meant. No, I don't know what it means either. I write stories, man. You know what I mean? I yes. write stories. And I've said this before. A comedy is a story with funny people. A uh a sci-fi um a sci-fi movie or show is a story with lasers and and aliens. A horror movie is a story where there's a slasher with a knife. Like it's all a story. You're just changing the premise and the and sort of the components of the story. You got to service the story. You don't. If you're trying to service the, um, you genre. know, the abstract concept of a genre, I don't know, man. It seems to me like you're like a comic book geek or like a you know you're like obsessed with generic conventions. That's weird to me. I don't even think you're going to be a good storyteller if that's what you're thinking about. I agree, and I always feel like I, I agree. It's it 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 sounds like it's like pick a pick a genre to be in and like stay hard and true to the elements of that genre and the conventional elements. Basically, everything that we've seen, do that. 
you know, right. <laughs> which right. is, yeah. and I don't know if that's what he's saying, but it does kind of come off like that. So I, I don't get this one. I agree. Yeah. Just like tell the best story. What Who gives a shit what genre it is? What genre? Man, I, I don't understand. What genre is the movie Parasite? The Korean movie Parasite. What genre right. is that? I mean, who cares? You know, who cares? People love the story. Who cares? All right. uh, Go ahead, Chu. Next one. Next one is your script is written by the numbers, also known as formulaic storytelling. And what he goes on to say in the body of this piece of advice is that readers can sniff out when you've listened to one of these screenwriting gurus and have told you that on page X, this by page X, this needs to happen, and by mm-hmm. page Y, this needs to happen, et cetera, et cetera. I am, believe it or not, a hard disagree on this. Oh, yeah? Yes, because I, I believe this just, just comes down to being able to do things well or not. I'm a structured person. So yeah. if you call, if you call, it sounds like he's calling structure formula and formula structure, but mm-hmm. I think structure is good. And while I do agree that sometimes if it is done poorly, mm-hmm. it can it can feel ex- exposed. It can feel like um, th- it can feel like paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the structure itself is wrong. It just means that um, <laughs> it's been executed poorly. I do agree in, uh, that there is a structure that there are several kinds, but there's a general structure, especially for movies that work and that adhering to that is good, uh, is good craft. It's just in all in the execution of doing that. So yeah, I am a hard disagree about um, quote writing by the numbers. Cause it feels like a slap against structure in my opinion. Agree. I agree with you. Totally agree with you. Shu. I say that, you know, the only caveat I'll make is like, Sometimes people think if they check the boxes of structure that that is what makes their story good. And so it's mm-hmm. actually falling into this note in a weird way because, like, I think what you're saying is you have to have structure as a basis, but you also have to know when to deviate and tell your story. Mm-hmm. And it's good to know that structurally as a basis because that's going to help your script have shape and to, you know, speak the language of cinema storytelling or television storytelling. But I don't think that, like, you can go through Save the Cat. And like check the box and be like, I have a good script, you know, which I'm, I'm worried that some people might fall into that category. But overall, I agree with what you're saying. You know, you know what it is? It's like a choreographed dance, right? Mm-hmm. I can or any other recipe, right? A, a, a recipe to bake a cake. Yeah. You can give the same recipe to 10 different people, same ingredients, the same recipe. And you're going to come up with or, or the same choreographed dance moves. Yeah. You're going to come up with 10 different, maybe slightly, maybe more different than others, but 10 different executions of that thing. That doesn't mean that the choreography is wrong mm-hmm. or that the recipe is wrong. It just means that the execution of those things might not be great, but it doesn't mean like, fuck recipes. I can tell when you're doing a recipe. Do you know what I mean? Or right. fuck the choreography. Right. That's not it. That's a great so, analogy. Yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, number 18. <laughs> Your protagonists are assholes. That might get your script rejected. What What is he talking about? Uh, <laughs> you, so you didn't like this one. I, I no, actually, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. I checked this one. Well, okay. Here's the thing. I know what he's trying to get at, but like Don Draper is an asshole. 
Every character yeah. in The Walking Dead is sort of an asshole, right? Walter White yeah. is an asshole. I mean, I guess we could sort of parse what what is an asshole and what isn't. Uh, but I think it's not about how your character exists on the spectrum of nice or asshole or likable or asshole. I don't think it's about how they exist on that spectrum. I think what it's about is do we identify with what the character is trying to accomplish and can we root for them accomplishing that? Yes, there exactly. might be an opportunity where you want to you could set up a script where you want to root for the husband to cheat on his wife and like to yes. have his keep as many affairs hidden from uh, the other people as possible. That's possible. I mean, we again, Don Draper, you know, you might want to root for somebody to kill a totally innocent person. That happened several times in Breaking Bad where we were rooting for Walter White to kill a totally innocent good person. And so. Yes. Uh, you know, I said no to this, but you checked it, so let me know what you think. Well, I I, I think those are valid points. I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and I just replaced where he said, because because he starts this by saying, if your reader or audience doesn't like your characters, why will they why will they care what happens to them? I disagree with that, but I just replaced like like with understand right or or relate and so whether or not they're assholes just can you relate to them or understand maybe not relate to them like you are like them but can you understand um what they're up against and what choices they might make and relate to their conditions such that you may root for them yeah i guess i'm just a proponent of fully formed characters and if they happen yes. to fall on the side of being a jerk or an asshole or unlikable i still think you can make a great script out of it um agree but yeah so as as again with a lot of these things as a blanket statement no sort of parsing i guess i can get to the the idea behind it but i i'm you know when people read these lists sometimes they just take them as blanket statements and uh and i think that's maybe a little troublesome uh, number 19, nothing happens in the middle. I agree with this, man. I agree. I think it, I'm always, I've always been like a second act person, like the middle of the script. That's mm-hmm. always where I've loved to like dive in. And I've always been a little perplexed by people who say, oh, the second act is a desert. What happens? But I do understand that a lot of people love setup and a lot of people love endings and they think about the ending and the twists and the turns of the ending and they think about the setup of how they're going to introduce the characters but that middle part is something a lot of people struggle with so i think i overall agree with this you got to you can't just have a like a like a sexy opening and a really riveting introduction and then you get into the meat of the story and it falls flat i completely agree and this is why i um and so I, I agree with this note also, and this is why I am a fan and proponent of recipes or choreography, because they can mm. often help people to make sure that their their scripts are structured in such a way that they are having things happen or are building to things structurally in the middle of the script. Um, so... I agree. I think uh, this would be a structural problem if, quote, nothing happens in the middle. Uh, then you have a structural problem with your with your script. And, and I agree with this note. Number 20, the ending sucks. Thoughts? I think endings are hugely important. So I, I agree with this. I, you know, it, it almost feels to me, I mostly, I'm 90% agree with this. I, ju- I think there is a, and I'm sure the writer probably is aware of this, that 
and, and there is a situation in which you know the script is fantastic yes but you get to the end and the end is kind of uh, i don't know that that gets you a, a rejection it i think that gets get, you a rejection i mean i get you I a agree. note yes yeah. that's right it's a note right because yeah. endings are very difficult um they're the most they're sort of the one of they're the hardest thing to land right you have to bring your whole story to a conclusion in a satisfying way you don't know what's going to be satisfying to one person versus another but if it's a mm-hmm. feature film and 85 pages are the most riveting fantastic thing you ever read and the last 15 pages don't quite work for you i don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, you know what i mean so- i think i think it's not like a huge that's not like a huge structural problem in the middle of your script that's like a fatal flaw that can't be fixed because everything is built around it endings in a way are actually modular and that's why so many stories have alternate endings and that's why you hear about writers reworking the ending over and over again because in a way the ending can sort of slot in uh multiple different ways and finding the right ending sometimes takes draft after draft after draft. So I would say don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, although I do agree with the general sense that an ending is hugely important to your script. Yes, agreed. 21, the pacing is horrible. I agree with this. I agree with it too. Again, I I think this comes down to structure. Again, if the structure is right, if uh, uh, then the pacing should, should follow suit. You know, he seems to be talking a little bit about sort of like like the written pace on the page, not necessarily the pace of the story. He was talk. He talks about sort of, you know, editing the words on the page so that it feels like you can get through the script quicker. Uh, but I agree with both of them. So, you know, yeah, I, I think the way I think I always talk about cause and effect and making sure, cause he says, don't make your script and then, and then, and then, and then, right. Like, mm-hmm. I think you really have to make sure that the, preceding scenes flow narratively and also on the page to the next scenes. I think that is a really, really important part of writing because um, you're, it's possible that you can write things in such a way that where the story is good and, and as an abstract sort of like thing that you can describe, the story really works, but what's on the page doesn't because it's just not flowing and it feels like it stops and starts from scene to scene. So I actually really agree that pacing is hugely important. Number 22, your script is riddled with cliches and stereotypes. Yep. I, <laughs> I agree. agree. Me too. I mean, that 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 happens a lot. And, and I think, you know, you get a lot of derivative. Look, nothing is new, but you get a right. lot of derivative scenes and de- derivative characters. Um, and we all, we all are imitating when we first start out writing and yeah. uh, you often get things that have been seen before, before you kind of find your original voice. And so when you have a script that's kind of riddled with those things, a lot of it's, you're never going to get, you know, 100%. I've never seen anything like this in my life. I just don't think that exists. Yeah. Um, but I do think uh, that, you know, there's a point at which like, this is all just pretty cliche. So it should have a good mind for that. Uh, agree, man. I think you got to always be asking yourself, like, did I come up with this? Is this my twist on this version? Or am I just writing something I saw on another TV show or movie? Like, I'm always mm-hmm. asking myself that. And I kick myself when one gets through, man. I just watched an episode oh, yeah. of Shameless that I wrote. 
and one of the characters is in a police interrogation and says, well, if you really knew anything, I'd be in cuffs right now. And I'm like, why did I write that line? That line's been used a million times. It's I just literally pulled it from some other movie that I saw. It's not even a creative way to say it. It's such a cliche. I mean, thankfully, I think that was probably the only cliche that existed in that episode. Right. So I probably could get a pass for just having one. But if you start to do that every five pages, people are going to notice and right. be like, this person is not really bringing something new to the table. So, okay, quick little slight. De- well, how would you improve it? Give the audience, tell them what, what would you do? Because well, the you're right, thing- that sentiment is old. So yeah. how would you twist the sentiment? I mean, the first thing is that I would avoid using those words because I think those words in and of themselves are the cliche. If you guys knew anything, I'd be in the prison right now. If you knew anything, I'd be in an orange jumper right now. If you Mm -hmm. cops really knew anything, I'd be in cuffs. Like, that is such an old cliche hackney line. So I get rid of the line. The drama might stay the same. The drama might, the sentiment from the character might be trying to figure out what the cops do and and do not know. And then they come to the conclusion that the cops really don't know anything. So they have a little bit of a cocky attitude. I think that Mm. in and of itself is not cliche. I think that's actually good drama that can be supported by, uh, you know, character intention and obstacles and then the, the turn of the scene. But I would mainly get rid of the line and I would try to think of a more specific way for the character to express that feeling. Gotcha. That's great. All right, should we want to do the last one? one? Yeah. yeah. Okay, go ahead. You go. You go. Last one, 23. Your surprise ending or twist either wasn't a surprise because it was overly obvious or was a total unfulfilling surprise because it lacked any setup. My answer to this, I'll let you get the last word. My answer to this is yes, I agree. You are correct, sure, but also fuck a surprise ending. Yeah, I mean, does your script? I mean, it's like, yo, know, I mean, Sixth Sense, bro. I mean, they even have a picture of the Sixth Sense in the article. But like, I think Sixth Sense told a generation of would-be writers that you must have a surprise twist. That that's like the biggest thing that you can do. Like that, you should just be writing for this surprise twist. And I think we're probably coming out of that now because that movie's so old at this point. I hope so. That's but very yeah. Old. I mean, tell a great story, man. Tell a great story. Try to dive into the characters. Let the characters lead the way. If that gets you to something that people find surprising, that's really great. But if it gets you to just a conclusion that doesn't feel that shocking, but feels really touching and emotionally resonant, that's even better. You know? So I say that, you know, writing a surprise is very, very difficult, especially for audiences as savvy as they are in the year 2021. You know, we've been watching over 100 years of cinema. And the surprises have been twisted every which possible way. So to come up with something uh, for an audience that is actually looking for the surprise and trying to guess the surprise because they've been tricked and shocked so many times, it's very, very difficult. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of misdirection and sleight of hand. And, uh, you know, some, some stories aren't built for it. So don't try to muscle it in unless you really need it. But I do agree with the sentiment. Like, you know, a quote-unquote shock shock ending that's not shocking is like the number one way to deflate your script <laughs> yes true uh big shout out to ken thank you ken. Uh, big shout out to um indiewire who posted the article published the article yeah. um so we'll we'll put it in the in the in the newsletter 
you know, I almost feel like we we did 23 points of don't do that shit. Do we really need to do? Like, we have to don't do that shit. Let's make it very quick because this episode is getting long, man. Let's do. I, I have to do don't do that shit. I can't. I feel very weird if we didn't. If don't you do don't do shit. it, okay. I'll choose one of my more simple ones. All right, I'm going to choose one that's very quick. All right, everybody. Here we are at the end at the end of the episode. My don't do that shit for this week. Don't do that shit is a place where we give you a little bit of bite-sized advice by telling you what not to do. My don't do that shit is very easy. Don't press send as soon as you finish the script. <laughs> That's a really good Don't one. finish the script and then five minutes later be sending it to people. You got to let it marinate, man. You got to <laughs> let it marinate. I don't know. Sometimes you write to a deadline and you yeah. feel like you have to send it. But if you can uh, any way build your schedule where you give yourself the next morning to work on it and look at it with fresh eyes, trust me, you will thank, you will you will thank the G swote for this advice. Don't finish the script and press send immediately. Uh, <laughs> that won't really work for you, Shul. Yeah, God, because I I one hundred percent agree. That's like a mantra to me. Yeah, but I mean, I will say that like lately, I have been so pressed for time that I have been that dude. Yeah. Like, fuck, I just gotta, I can barely like get through rereading it. I gotta just push send, bro. You gotta it's at the least worst. give it a read. It's you gotta worst. at least find. You gotta at least find two hours it's to give it a worst. thorough read. I know you're right. You're right. You're totally right. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good one. My uh, my, don't do that shit. Is uh, I'm gonna choose one of these simple ones for my notebook. This one is really simple. Don't give your film or pilot an overly complicated title. Love Just it. Just keep keep it simple. You know what titles work best? One word, two words. Like maximum yes. three, you know, yes. those are the ones that work best. I, you know, there are exceptions, of course, yes. you know, clever ones. Um, but, you know, but, you know, yeah, you do, just keep it simple. I love that. And I think at one point we should do maybe just 10 or 20 minutes on how you come up with a title, because yeah. I think that's an art in and of itself. But yes, I totally agree with you. Yeah. One word, if you can do it, it's very powerful. Yeah, if you can do it. You have been listening to The Diversity Hires. Find us across all social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at DivHiresPod. Also, Patreon, slash DivHiresPod, where you can give us a little bit of money. Also, check out TheDiversityHires.com, where you can reach out to us at any point. I'm your co-host, Sherman Payne. And I am Shukri Hassan Tillman, a.k.a. Shu. This show is produced by the wonderful August K. Burton, AKB. Shout out. You're doing a great job. And also, social media director, Tia Wren, also doing a fantastic job. You see her posts all over uh, social media and our social media handles. As Sherman said, be sure to uh, follow us. Uh, get us on social media, but also share the podcast. Share the podcast with yes. your friends, with your family, uh, with your social media groups, with your screenwriting groups. Share the podcast. Even if you don't listen, just share it. That will work for us. And also, 
rate the podcast go to apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever you listen and be sure to put in a nice five-star rating and some comments that would be great you can reach us at the diversityhires.com again the diversityhires.com you can join our mailing list you can write to us and suggest topics send us an email with some comments any of the above we look forward to hearing from you and look forward to seeing you next week on the diversity hires. Peace.